For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. Father God, thank you for your word. And Father, we know this is your word. It's not a book that was just written by men. It's a book that is inspired by God. God breathed into existence. We know that holy men of God spake as they were born along by the Holy Spirit of God. And so every word that we have read here are your words and uh, your message to us today. And so we accept it as such. And I pray that you would help as I attempt to explain and preach and teach what is seen here, that, Lord, you'll fill me with your spirit, that I might be accurate and right and practical in my teaching. Help me to be bold enough to say what needs to be said and, and uh, kind enough to not say anything I ought not. I pray, Father, you'd protect me from anything like that. So use this message and speak to our hearts and teach us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're going to talk about family and primarily Jesus' attitudes toward family. It's common today to hear talk of priorities. We often use that kind of terminology. We like to compartmentalize our lives and try to determine uh, what are various levels of importance or priority in life. Some things we know are more important than others, and hence this idea of priorities. Many would list their priorities as family first and then everything else. Uh, others might try to be more spiritual. And they would list their priorities as God first, then family, then everything else. I would suggest to you this morning that Jesus would be in that latter camp. Jesus would have listed his categories as God first and then family. Because in our text, we see Jesus in both word and action teaching us some very important lessons about family. And I think a very important lesson about priorities in general. You see, Jesus had a family. He loved his family. He respected his family, so we can learn an awful lot from his example. Believe it or not, there's quite a bit there that we can learn. But Jesus had an imperfect family. I'm not going to ask for a raising of hands for all of you who would agree with that, but Jesus, like most of us, had an imperfect family, and sometimes his family tried to get in the way of his relationship with God and his service to God. And therefore, we can learn from how he handled those conflicts how he handled that kind of a situation. And we can also learn from his clear teaching because he spoke to the issue and was very, very plain in what he said. So let's look at the, kind of those three things this morning. Let's look first of all about the fact that Jesus had a family and he loved and respected his family. I mean, we do know some things. We know, for example, that uh, when he was a child, Jesus obeyed his parents. Now, we don't have a whole lot of information about Jesus when he was a child, but we have some. We have this, Luke chapter 2 and verse number 51, then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. He was subject to his parents. That means, kids, he obeyed his parents. He was obedient to them. He did what he was told. Now, that may not be the norm today. I realize it's probably not the norm today for children to obey their parents. And it might, might not even be politically correct for parents to expect such and teach it to their kids. But it is biblical and it is right for children to obey their parents. Matter of fact, Ephesians 6.1 says those exact words. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. It cannot be much clearer than that. And actually, the Bible goes on. It goes so far as to indicate that disobedience to parents... Is, is, is a sign of, of the, the end of days. It's a sign of the impending judgment of God. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. 
For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I read that list and I'm always astonished. Right in the middle of it is disobedience to parents. All of these terrible things. And right in the middle of it is disobedience to parents. And so it's, it's one of those things that the Bible says is an indication that we're in the last days when judgment is imminent. Obedience toward parents is biblical. Parents should expect it. Parents should teach it. And Jesus modeled it. That's what I want us to see primarily. Jesus modeled it. And he went beyond that. He not only obeyed and respected his parents in childhood, but it went on into his adult years. We see that he also respected them in adulthood. If we were to turn, and we won't do this this morning for, for sake of time, but you could write the reference down if you want to look at it later. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, you'd see his, uh, his uh, situation that occurred at the wedding in Cana when Mary uh, asked Jesus to turn the water into wine. And Jesus' reaction and treatment of his mother there was one of respect, one of respect. He basically did what she asked him to do. And later on, at the very end, the very last thing we see of him on this earth before his death on the cross, he's hanging on the cross between heaven and earth. His mind is filled with the weight of saving all mankind and bearing all our sin and finishing God's work of redemption. And he had a thought about his mother while he was there on the cross. I wrote a book called Dying Words, Living Words, about the last words of Jesus Christ or the seven cross sayings of Jesus Christ, and this was one of them. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home, John chapter 19. And, of course, we know what's happening there. Even there on the cross, he was respecting, caring, and loving his mother enough to make provision for her. Basically, if we were to paraphrase what happened there, he was saying, John, take care of my mom. He was saying, Mom, John will take care of you. And so he respected and cared for and loved his mother even into his adult years. I know that some believe that once we reach adulthood, it means we no longer need to respect our parents. It is true that our relationship towards them changes when we reach adulthood. One of the most important verses that most married couples ought to read is Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. In childhood we cling and obey. In adulthood we move away and start our own family. But even though obedience is no longer the expectation, respect is. Nobody ever said the respect was done away with. The commandment's still in the Bible. I don't know if you've noticed. It's still there. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. It's one of the Ten Commandments, and it was not spoken only to children. And so respect is still something that we owe to our parents. And see, this is what Jesus modeled. We see it, we see it in him. He had a family which he loved and respected. He seemed particularly close to his mother Mary, who's mentioned throughout the Gospels, and she's seen right up to the cross and after. His father Joseph disappeared from the narratives after that incident in the temple when he was 12 years old, when Jesus was 12 years old. And, and so we, we never hear of Joseph again, and therefore we believe that he probably died uh, while Jesus was young. But we also know that he had brothers, and he had sisters. Scripture says his brothers and sisters are with us. We know particularly about two of his brothers, James and Jude, both of whom 
are, are credited with writing the New Testament books by their name, the book of James that we, we taught through a while back, written by the brother of the Lord, and, and also uh, Jude was his brother. And so Jesus had a family. He loved them. He respected them. He taught and modeled the importance of children obeying their parents and of respecting parents even into adulthood. He had right priorities about family. But sometimes family will lead you astray. Sometimes. Look at verse 21 again. But when his own people heard about this, now that's talking about his family. His own people is his family. When his family heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said he is out of his mind. Was he? No, he was not. Verse number 31, then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside they sent to him, calling him. And we see in this, uh, this passage that Jesus did not drop everything to obey his family. As a matter of fact, in this case, he took a completely different stand. In this case, he didn't do what they asked him to do. Because in this case, they were trying to stop him. They were trying to interfere with his service for God and his ministry. Now, I don't think for a minute that we can ascribe evil motives to them. I don't believe that his mother or his brothers or sisters were trying to stop his ministry. I don't think there was anything evil in it. I think they just simply didn't understand. But they were doing it nonetheless. And they were not fully on board with what Jesus was doing, and so they were in the way. And sadly, even the best of believers sometimes doubt or don't understand. Here it was, it was possibly Mary and certainly his brothers and sisters. Another time we saw an example of that in John the Baptist. When John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? He knew the answer to that. But he had grown weak and confused and, and perhaps doubtful for a moment. And all of us are weak from time to time and get our priorities out of whack. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26, Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He would not have said that to us if it was not something that we had to be on guard against. Sadly, even the best believers sometimes fall. David is an obvious example of that. The man after God's own heart who fell so far into sin that it ended up in cold-blooded murder to cover up yet more sin. Peter is an obvious example of this. The man who told his master, though I die, I will not leave you. And then he denied him three times. The best of men are men at best. And the best of Christians fail. And the best of family members may tempt us toward wrong priorities. And Jesus' attitude here and Jesus' actions in this text remind us that even uh, the best of people, sometimes we're going to have to stand up against those who would lead us astray, even, even and including our very own beloved family. Sometimes we must stand against it. You see, Jesus simply could not do what his family was asking him to do in this case. And in saying no to family in this case, he provides us with a very simple guideline. We're to put family in a position of priority, yes, but they are not the highest priority. That belongs to God. That always belongs to God. We are to respect family until family would influence, away from, influence us away from God. Our, our priorities must always have God at the top. No exceptions. Zero exceptions. God first, always God first in all things, solo Deo, God alone. Always. 
Now, we're taught something similar about civic responsibility, aren't we? I mean, we're facing an election that's coming up, and so maybe this is appropriate to think about this. In Romans chapter 13, we're taught to obey civil authorities. We're taught to be a good citizen. But yet in Acts chapter 4, we see an an exception to that. There is a limit to that respect, and that limit is when those civil authorities would lead us to violate our relationship with God. Or ask us to do something that God would say no to. In that case, according to Acts chapter 5 and verse 29, we ought to obey God rather than man. So be a good citizen up to the point where doing so would mean being a bad Christian, God first. And the same thing is true about family. We prioritize family, but only up to the point where doing so would mean being a bad Christian. God first in all things, even and especially in our families. Now, now I know that these concepts are countercultural. And I know that some will disagree. My family comes first, preacher. I can imagine some of you are steaming that way right now. It's probably true. And as a man who loves his family deeply, I assure you I understand the conflict this causes in our brain. I understand it. But the Bible is clear. Spiritual family and spiritual things more important than physical family and physical things. And here's the deal. When we do things the Bible way, we never go wrong. We never go wrong. And neither will our families. We can do nothing better for our families than to do things God's way. We can do nothing better for our families than prioritize them the way God wants them to be prioritized in our life. And if we get out of whack in this thing, we're actually harming them rather than helping them. Mark chapter 3, he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. I think here, as well as in other places, Jesus taught that our love for him and our love for God must exceed our love for anybody else, including our families. He said in Luke chapter 14, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life he cannot be my disciple. Does anybody here believe Jesus was teaching us there to hate our families? Certainly not. He wasn't teaching us to hate anybody. He was speaking of priorities. He was telling us that those relationships, father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, were secondary to our relationship to him and to God. In another place, Luke chapter 9, he said, he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Again, he was speaking of priorities. None of those things that people were speaking of there and talking about, they were wrong. There was nothing that was unimportant. But what Jesus was saying is they were not as important as the relationship with and service for God. Matthew chapter 10, I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Again, he's not teaching us to hate our families. He's not teaching us that our families are our enemies. He's, he's teaching about priorities. He taught and modeled love for family. But he's teaching us here that family is not our highest priority. Christ first. God first in all things. That's his teaching. I know these are radical concepts, and I know that some will not accept them. Many of Jesus' teachings were like that, by the way. 
and only those who were truly committed to him accepted them then, and only those who are truly committed to him now would accept them now. John chapter 6, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then, what then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirits, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And there's the reminder that we need to draw upon whenever we come upon hard sayings like this in Scripture, whenever Jesus' words seem to be almost counterintuitive to us, when he tells us to put himself ahead of everything that we hold dear, even our very own families, it's then we need to remember, Lord, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We may not understand, but he does. And we may not always see why, but he does. And we may think that we know better, but we do not. He has the words of eternal life, and following them will always be the right answer. So let's sum up, if we could, a little bit about what we've seen here. Jesus had a family that he loved and he respected. But we also see here an example of how sometimes even beloved family members may tug on us and pull us away from our first priority, which is God. And therefore, Jesus taught, both in word and action, that when such occurs, we must put God first. Family is important. It is so important. Surely Jesus taught that. But God is so much more important. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true, and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of man. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. And so they brought him a denarius, and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Perhaps nowhere in Scripture do we have a more clear word on how we understand priorities, Jesus teaching on priorities, than that right there. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. We could just as accurately say render to family the things that are families and to God's, God the things that are God's. Render to friends, render to employees, render to fill in the blank. Always give God his due first is what he's teaching. And so let me close by asking a couple of Simple questions to help you examine your priorities in this matter. Just a couple of examples. Let's say, for example, you were raised in another faith. Catholic, Muslim, Jewish, Mormon, something similar. Your family hears a rumor that you've been attending a Bible study and have decided to become a Christian. They sit you down and they say to you, if you continue down the path of Christianity... You are no longer a member of this family. What do you do? 
there is only one right answer. No matter how we want to slice it, there is only one right answer. And we could go to persecuted believers all over the globe who know it. God first. God first. Perhaps this one hits a little bit more close to home for us. Your teenage son comes to you and says, Dad, I want to add another sport to my schedule. There's just one problem. They practice every Sunday morning, and I would have to start missing church. How do you answer? There is only one right answer. Christian parents continue to raise children, though, into adults who turn away from the church and turn increasingly to a secular and lost lifestyle. You know why? It's because they were taught from childhood that sports and games and anything that intrigues them at the time is more important than God. There's only one right answer. God first. One more, your, your grown children have moved away, and you miss them. They decide to visit you for a few days. Sunday morning rolls around. Do you say to them, family, it's time for church. We'd love to have you come with us. If not, just make yourself at home until we get back. And you go to church. Do you do that? Or do you let them think they're more important than your relationship with God by blowing off worship and sitting in your jammies and having bagels with them? There's only one right answer. I'm not talking about once in a while things. I'm talking about if these are the way we live our lives. There's only one right answer. Christians pray constantly for their unsaved loved ones. It's always a top request on our Wednesday evening prayer meetings, our unsaved loved ones. And then when those same unsaved loved ones come to visit, far too many of those praying Christians show those unsaved loved ones that God's not all that important at all. They're more important. I know these are black and white examples, and I know that not everyone will agree. But it really is a pretty black and white issue, at least from Jesus' perspective. He wouldn't have any trouble answering those questions. He was using an example that would have shocked the family-oriented Jews. And he made a powerful point about the extent to which we should go in putting God first in our lives. I pray God would help us to be people of family. I pray we'd love our children, our spouses, our parents, our siblings. I pray we'd love our fellow man. And I pray we would model the values that Jesus demonstrated toward his own parents here. Obedience when he was young, respect all of his life and love. However, I pray also that God would help us to value the spiritual more than anything else. May God help us to learn how to balance the priorities in all of our relationships such there will never be a question in anybody that sees us or knows us about what is the number one thing in our lives. Jesus Christ, solo Deo, God first. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, in some ways I think this is probably a hard word for some. And I pray it would not be so. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand that when we do things your way, it is only good, only good, only good. And that you know best. And so I pray today that if there are those who are struggling with it or angered by it or bothered by it or dismayed in some way, that, Lord, you'll just touch their heart right now and help them to trust you. 
All of us, Father, need to examine our priorities in life from time to time. I know you told us in your word to examine ourselves, whether we be in the faith. We need to look whether we're even saved from time to time. We need to look at our fruit and see. And I pray now that uh, in addition to that, we would look at our priorities. And if there are changes that need to be made, help us, Father, while we sing and as we wrap up our service. Help us to just uh, right where we are or or at the altar in the front, however we want to do it. I, I pray, Lord, that people would just talk to you. And, uh, Lord, if we need to confess, help us to confess. If we need to repent, help us to repent. If we need to make changes, help us to do that. But, Lord, may our priorities be right with you. Uh, May we value you above all. And, Lord, I do pray, if there's even one here today who doesn't know you as Savior, who who is uh, operating from a position of just not even understanding what Christianity is, then I pray that this day they would step out and let us show them from Scripture how they can know for certain. We didn't talk about it much in this message, I know. But, Lord, I know the Holy Spirit can take anything from your word and apply it to hearts. And so I pray right now, if there's a lost person in this room or lost persons in this room, that they would uh, feel the influence of the Holy Spirit right now and they'd want to be saved and that you'd help them to step out and let us show them from Scripture how they can be. Whatever needs are on the hearts of your people as we end our service and we sing and we pray, help us, Father, to uh, just respond as you would have us to, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.